Hello and welcome to another episode of Chemically Speaking, the official podcast of the Royal Australian Chemical Institute. My name is Dr. Mac Griffith, and today we'll be exploring the process of wastewater recycling in Australia. Before we get started, if you have any feedback for us from previous episodes, then please head over to our website, www.raci.org.au backslash chemically speaking to get in touch with us. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now, let's get stuck into today's topic. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. If you grew up in Australia, then chances are you've encountered Dorothy McKellar's famous poem, which beautifully captures the essence of the Australian landscape and climate. However, in the last few decades, these droughts have been becoming longer and more intense, and the rains, well, they've been much less frequent. When they do arrive, they've been turning up in enormous bursts, which means that we can't quite capture a lot of the available water into our storage facilities. This problem of decreasing availability is also set against a backdrop of a growing population, with water consumption in Australia's larger cities expected to rise by 75% in the next 30 years. Driven by these twin challenges of declining water supply and growing demand, Australia has stepped up our efforts to secure our water future. In 2018, recycled water use increased in most urban centres, and although no city directly uses treated wastewater for tap water, it is currently being considered for the future. With the right technology and safeguards, these types of thoughts could bring cities and homes close to self-sufficiency. In our industries, it's a different story. We've been using recycled water for many years now, and there's a lot that we can learn by looking to them as a model for this process. Today, we delve into the journey that a drop of wastewater takes from the moment it enters the drain to the moment it leaves our wastewater treatment plants. We'll discover all of the clever innovations and policy checks and balances that are allowing us to reuse and recycle our wastewater as we move towards a more and more sustainable future. Our first guest today is Fran Smith, who is the Department Manager for System Performance and Productivity at Taswater. Fran has extensive experience in analytical chemistry lab management, with a focus over the past decade on increasingly senior roles in water quality and management at Tasmania's major water authority. She enjoys working with people, using science and data to solve problems that make a difference to the community. It's a pleasure to have you here today, Fran. Thank you for joining us on Chemically Speaking. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, you've always enjoyed science and understanding the world around you, in particular, excelling at physics at university. But despite this, you decided to focus more on chemistry after receiving some great career advice. What was it that drew you towards a career in chemistry? So I actually found chemistry more interesting, albeit harder at the time. And I took the advice to choose something that I enjoyed. So in hindsight, all science has the potential to make a difference. But chemistry was really diverse and I found it really practical and really it's everywhere. And I think it's really important to find a career or an area that you're passionate about because it makes it easier to put effort in. Oh, what fantastic advice. And so through following your interest in chemistry at university, you discovered a passion for collaboration, for teamwork, and the practical applications of science. 
which leads you to a job aligned with these aspects in lab management with the city of Hobart. At what point did you start thinking about water management for your career? So I really fell into the water industry. I took opportunities in science, I travelled and I had a go at a lot of different industries. And I was always open to learning new things. And that really led me to the water industry. Okay, so a bit of serendipity involved in the early days. And you've now worked your way up to management, leading a team of about 40 people that covers lab technicians, scientific and water sampling teams, and data management teams. Where do you get the policies which determine how you manage the water quality activities across this large team? So ultimately, our aim at Taswater is to provide safe drinking water and responsibly manage our sewage. We do that through operating our existing assets and or design of new assets. And my teams contribute to this by generating data from sampling and testing and analysing data and applying water chemistry to ensure system performance. As for policies to do this, really water is managed through the Australian Drinking Water Guidelines in conjunction with the Tasmanian Drinking Water Guidelines. Lab testing is another accredited laboratory, which is a national association of testing. Wastewater is managed via EPA with specific environmental protection notices for each site. And there are also recycled water guidelines, sustainable discharge frameworks and biosolid guidelines. So it's a heavily regulated industry. The challenge we really have though is how we apply all of this across 60 water systems and 110 wastewater systems and how we apply the regulations and policies to minimise risk, achieve good customer outcomes and environmental outcomes. And I suppose the team requires that we have problem solving, we apply innovation, collaboration and perseverance to this. Every decision we make is made with the best customer outcome in mind as everything we do can impact the customer or the environment. Wow, what a complex system that I'm sure presents some really unique challenges along the way. So do these guidelines that we've just mentioned, do they focus purely on the output water quality or do they change depending on the source of the water? For instance, purer water from a catchment versus, say, recycled wastewater. So there's different guidelines for drinking water and recycled water. I suppose they do both focus on the output, but it's really focused on the end user. So drinking water is obviously for human consumption. So there's very strict guidelines following the Australian drinking water guidelines, whereas recycled water is typically used for irrigation onto farmland, so not that direct consumption. And, and with different levels in recycled water, there's different levels of classification depending on the type of crops it's used for. Uh, recycled water requires less treatment and is actually the preferred environmental outcome over discharging effluent into waterways, particularly for inland waterways with low dilution options. Okay, so we've got these two sort of competing or different treatment protocols. And as I understand it, there's more than 50 different species which you would monitor for during these water management processes. So could you tell us some of the major categories of the species that you measure throughout the water treatment process? You're right, there's quite a lot of species we monitor. Typically, they sort of fall into the categories of either solids, so particulate matter, so we measure that sort of turbidity, um, or pathogens, so a typical indicator for that is E. coli, and then chemicals, so pesticides, metals, nutrients, and toxins are all monitored at different parts of the process. We monitor the catchments and the inflow into water treatment plants, particularly to detect changes, So, and this can occur 
due to rainfall or worst case flooding. And with this information, we can either adjust the treatment or in extreme cases, stop treating. And most of Tasmania water sources come from what we'd call run-of-the-river systems, and so they can be heavily impacted by weather changes. And then during the process, we're checking for the treatment performance. So we'd continue to monitor solids and turbidity, chlorine, colour. This is really for us to check the treatment processes, including filtration and fluoridation and chlorination. We really want to make sure that they are working effectively. This type of monitoring is often continuous and inline and periodically checked by doing bench testing. And then the final product for the customer or the environment is thoroughly tested to ensure it meets the Australian drinking water guidelines. So again, things like pH, chlorine and turbidity, including E. coli, fluoride metals and paste are the, are the typical things we would monitor. Wow, so many things to keep an eye on. And so... How often would you monitor for each of these species and what would determine the measurement frequency? So for our key treatment controls, which we'd call critical control points, we monitor them ideally continuously and they would be alarmed so we can respond to any issues. To verify the product water or what the customer receives, we test periodically, typically weekly for micro and the pathogens and then monthly and quarterly for chemical contaminants. The testing frequency is really determined by risk and again in line with Australian drinking water guidelines. And then unusual incidents, we would respond accordingly. Okay, so monitoring, I suppose, is one side of the equation. The other side is the actual treatment process. So what are the major technical steps involved in a typical water treatment process at Taswater? So typically... The first step is about removing solids and chemical contaminants, and that's usually done by a filtration and or flocculation process. Then effectively, you're adding fluoride and then you're ensuring disinfection. And disinfection can occur either through UV treatment and or chlorination. Okay, and throughout this treatment process, I assume there's some waste generated. So what happens to these waste products from the water treatment process? So the typical waste is a solid. So as we're removing the solids from the water, and this is collected as a sludge. And depending on the level of contamination of that sludge, this can either be composted or applied directly to farmland. And ideally, it's beneficially reused. Excellent. So adding to that sustainability footprint, that's what we like to hear. And so from what we've covered already, it's clear that this is a very diverse industry, but one in which a chemistry background could be really useful. So what are the key chemistry skills required for people who are considering a career in the water treatment and management industry? So for the lab roles, which is probably what people most think about for chemistry, basic bench skills and analytical techniques with quality focus are required. But really, chemistry skills can be applied much wider than in the lab. And the skills there would be things like problem solving, data analysis, risk mitigation and application of new scientific innovations. And really, I think it's the desire to make a difference, be able to communicate and be part of the team. They are the really important skills. Okay, that's great to hear. And so if we project forward in time, is it feasible to consider that tomorrow's chemists who have these skill sets could merge pure and recycled water outputs to the point where we could see recycled wastewater used as our drinking water. Yes, absolutely. And and this, interestingly, is already done internationally. 
in Singapore, for instance, and more remotely in Antarctica, where water is very scarce. And like, you know, water is a precious resource. It's ultimately a limited resource. And it's one of the many future options that we have to ensure water surety is that reuse of recycled water. And so things like this development and many other innovations, they'll only happen and most importantly, be accepted by the community with good science, performed by good scientists, which will most likely be chemists. (laughs) That's what we like to hear. Fran, it's been fascinating chatting with you today and thank you for giving your time up to talk with us on Chemically Speaking. No worries. Welcome back to Chemically Speaking. I'm Dr. Matt Griffith, and today we're discussing wastewater management in Australia. Our final guest for this episode is Dr. David Verko, the General Manager Technical at Opal Australian Paper. David has 15 years of practical experience in the chemical sciences and engineering, including many years developing management solutions for wastewater processes in industrial settings. With a passion for making business practices environmentally sustainable, David also helps usher in new agile manufacturing processes by coaching the next generation of industry leaders. David, thank you very much for being with us on Chemically Speaking today. Thanks for having me, mate. Now, you were inspired to study chemistry by a fantastic high school teacher, but then attracted into further tertiary studies for quite an unusual reason. What was the driver of your university and degree choice? A fantastic television show called CSI. So... (laughs) Yeah, long story short, yeah, had a fantastic high school teacher, Mr. Jackson, and shout out, I'm sure he's long retired, but Mr. Jackson from Badair Christian College inspired me into science and did a fantastic job. And really, I knew pretty early in high school that science is where I wanted to go. problem I had was that the Bachelor of Science in, in South Australian universities where I grew up was probably cheapening in, in value. So Flinders University actually changed from a Bachelor of Science to a Bachelor of Technology, where basically you selected your major before you started. So rather than doing a Bachelor of Science majoring in organic chemistry or physical chemistry or microbiology, whatever, they had Bachelor of Technologies in nanotechnology and forensic science and analytical chemistry was one of them. And as I said at the start, showing my age, that was... 1996, 1997, and I think you'll find on if you go to Wikipedia, that's when CSI came out on television, and um, I thought it was a great TV show, and that's what I wanted to do. So as a young 16, 17-year-old, enrolled in Bachelor of Technology in Forensic and Analytical Chemistry at Flinders University. <laughs> the power of scientific outreach and marketing. That's right. Good old television. <laughs> and so after graduating from Flinders, you offered the opportunity to follow in your father's footsteps in the timber industry with a PhD in paper pulp technology. Is this where your affinity for solving problems for industry really started? Yeah. Again, not fully understanding what I was getting myself into, but there was my dad was in the timber industry his whole life and seeing this PhD scholarship in pulp and paper, I had a romantic inkling that was a way to follow in the old man's footsteps by studying wood chemistry, not really understanding how much influence the industry would have in my project. I, I met my co-supervisor from, from North Shaskoog Boyer, Dr. Des Richardson, in my interview process, and he did become a, a mentor and really gave me a fair bit of knowledge of the paper industry and, and the challenges they had 
which is what my project involved in the actual papermaking process, but also on the broader market spectrum as well. So it gave me an insight into into industry and I soon found in my project knowing that academia in its purest form probably wasn't for me and that industry is where I was destined to be and I could have, I thoroughly enjoyed it more and I could add more value to the world in industry rather than academia. Excellent. And so you decided to make this switch from the paper industry into the wastewater industry fairly soon after your PhD is done. What was the driver behind this decision? Yeah, two reasons. The business I was working for at the time had made some acquisitions of, of other chemical companies and there was an opportunity for change. And to be quite honest, at that point in the market, paper industry was really struggling. And as a, a young chemist looking for the next opportunity, I didn't see too much opportunity for growth. So I looked at what industries were similar or complementary and where I could make a make a change. And the wastewater industry has a lot of similarities to pulp and paper, flocculation chemistry being number one, and that's what I'd spent most of my time focusing on. So I saw it as a natural fit and made a career change into, into wastewater. So after you make this switch, you then go on to work with a number of companies, including Ovivo, Nauco Water, and now Opal Australian Paper. And across this journey, you've developed significant experience in the challenges of wastewater management. Broadly speaking, what's the overall equation for the way businesses think about water management? Yeah, it's a very good question. The equation at the end of the day comes down to to financials. So you have an input cost, what you pay for the water. You have a discharge cost, i.e. what you pay for the waste. Then you've got the cost of treatment. So whether that be the standard treatment, whether it be biological or chemical, which is a relatively low OPEX cost, versus then the technology cost to upgrade that and recycle. So there's always a continual balance in your water treatment Managing those costs, at the end of the day, we always have a P&L to respond to. So it's balancing what is affordable and what makes sense for the business at the time versus sometimes your idealistic attitude of recycling everything and having the best water maintenance scheme that you can think of. Right. So we've got this competing balance of the cost for water in and water out versus the cost of intervening and trying to recycle. So is there a benchmark figure that you could give for us for best practice in the water industry for reusage rates? And what would be sort of a target that most companies would aim for if they could? Yeah, I'd say if I talk to my colleagues or past colleagues, best practice would always be greater than 90%, right? That would be ideal. And if we could all do that, that'd be fantastic. If you talk about the realistic best practice, I would say, you know, if you can aim for 85%. That usually fits that equation of water usage versus water discharge quite nicely, um, depending on what technology you have available to you and what you are using. But it's certainly a goal of mine to get 80 85% as a benchmark and then, then move from there. Now, you've mentioned innovation and solving technical challenges a few times. Does industry work closely with researchers and students in Australia's universities to develop this next generation of innovative technologies? Yeah, absolutely. Throughout my career, I've either been partnered with as a uni student or here at Opal, I've got partnerships with a few tertiary institutions challenging the way we look at things. The ideal world is obviously reduce chemistry usage and probably increase biological usage if you have the footprint. And that's an OPEX 
calculation, right? Chemical costs money and apologies to all the chemical companies I used to work for, but that's just a, a truth. Um, there will always be a need for chemicals and there will always be a need for that in some market segments, but constantly trying to improve and tertiary education institutions can be a great outlet for those improvements. But the challenge always being how you use those institutions. So if you go to co-sponsor a, a PhD or a master's project or something like that, as industry, we have to remember that what the student needs to achieve their end goal being the degree, which is very academic, versus academia realising that it still needs to be relative in the end use. There are certainly some academics out there that I deal with that have that well and truly under control, and there are some I'll debate with regularly. That's just part of, part of the world that we live in. But there's certainly some universities that I've been speaking to in the last few years that are doing some fantastic work in water treatment and crossing over into, say, biomanufacturing, which is very similar, where you're taking that water treatment and then turning it into high-value byproducts, which is the end game with, with circular economy. It's certainly a challenge we hear a lot about on this podcast, getting academia and industry to work together towards a mutually beneficial outcome. But it sounds like we have some quite fruitful work going on in this field, which is great. Now, improving water reuse is obviously highly desirable from a sustainability perspective, but does this then bring any new challenges into wastewater management processing in our industries and businesses? Yes, it does. And I have this discussion with my management quite often. There's, a, there's an old saying that dilution is the solution and it's a debatable one. So as you are purifying your water, you'll end up with, by definition, a more concentrated waste stream. And the question is always going to be, what do you do with that more concentrated waste stream. Obviously, ideas like discharging to waterways or rivers, which some industries may do, will not be suitable for that because you're throwing a very concentrated, albeit low volume. It's just not environmentally and, and not sustainable. Other options like going to your local water authorities may, may be a solution, but they may not be set up to take multiple sources of low volume concentrated waste. So that's, there's always that balance in industry of understanding where that challenge will lead to, wherever it needs to work together, being local government, environment authority and the industry themselves. So in conjunction with the technology side, I assume there's also a lot of regulation and policy that you would need to keep up to date with. Who is it that sets the regulations that industry need to follow regarding their water management? Yeah, so it's usually the local government, being your state government, will set those policies and regulations and they'll be enforced by, here in Australia, the, the EPA. And then you've also got, so in Victoria, for example, we've got the, the GED, which General Environmental Duty, which is starting in a, in a couple of months in June, which is a huge mindset change here in Victoria where environment is going to be treated in the same way as safety. So Current legislation pre-GED is if there is environmental excursion, you must prove to the EPA how you prevent it from happening again. Come the new legislation in, in H2 this year, the general environmental duty is all about how you prevented it happening in the first place, just like how we treat safety in the workplace, which is a massive change and, and that's driven by the local government and monitored by the EPA. So that's generally how it goes. But all industry is always trying to continuously improve themselves and, and be ahead of compliance. In my previous roles, where I've been across many industrial sites. Every single customer I've ever been to has always been focused on beyond compliance because if, you, if you're resting on the current compliance, 
as soon as the government enforces a new policy or the local water authority challenges you to, to get cleaner, you're chasing the eight ball and that you can't plan or, or continuously improve your process. Okay, so we've heard a lot today about how governments are setting the policy that we need to follow in terms of our wastewater processes and businesses are seeking out new and innovative ways to improve their wastewater recycling. Does community expectation also play a role in this equation and how businesses and industry develop their water management processes? Oh, absolutely. Your social licence is almost important as your, as your regulatory licence. A, as a human being, you want to be able to put your head on the pillow and, and sleep at night knowing that you're doing the right thing in terms of your water management systems yourself. But if you're discharging to a river or you're not doing your water management correctly and the local community find out about it or witness it, all you need these days is a, is a post on social media to go viral and that'll do more as much if not more damage than, than if you were to breach an EPA licence. So community expectation and social licence is very important. And speaking here at Australian Paper, I mean, Maryvale, we're a regional town, one of the largest employers in the town, in the area, and our social licence is huge because everybody in the area knows somebody that works at the mill, whether it be their family member or a friend of a family member. So that social licence is a massive part of what we do. Well, David, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today and I must say highly entertaining. So on behalf of our team here at Chemically Speaking, thank you very much for chatting with us today. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been a pleasure. One of the most crucial natural resources on the planet is clean water. It is essential for life. Here in Australia, the hottest and driest continent on Earth, the significance of water management is a critical factor in our future. Whether we consider our urban drinking supplies or our wastewater usage in industry, the major challenge for treatment contains the same two factors. Firstly, we need to make sure that toxins are not spread through our water supplies. And secondly, we need to introduce clever recycling technologies to make sure we restore our water supplies. As we've just heard on today's episode, achieving these two goals comes with different complexities for domestic drinking water or industrial wastewater. Drinking water comes with stricter guidelines on water quality and thus significant challenges in the monitoring and continuous treatment of these water supplies. Whilst in our industries, the major challenge is reducing the cost of recycling technologies to allow a greater and greater degree of water reusage. Whether we think about our government water authorities or our private businesses, both are looking to pave the future of water management in Australia through innovation and sustainability. This drive for innovation creates an exciting opportunity for our nation's chemists to become involved in the water management industry and shape the future use of one of our most precious resources. And that's all we have for you on today's episode of Chemically Speaking. Don't forget to subscribe to listen to us on your favourite podcast platform, or better yet, write us a review or jump on the website and get in touch. As always, we really love to hear back from you. I'm Dr Matt Griffith, and I'll be back in May with a new episode exploring the energy generation technologies that will power Australia's future. Until then. 
I hope your days are brightened by a little tweak of chemistry.